Well, let's learn something from the Word of God as we honor His Word every week here at Foundations because we're building a biblical community one family at a time. That's what we do. We're building a biblical community one family at a time. And how do we do that? We do that by knowing God, growing in community, which is one reason we do Big Friends and Family Day, and going near and far. So let's look at this. We have been in a series, and we're finishing it today. If you're new with us, each one is individual. These seven I Am statements of Christ. The seven I Am statements of Christ found in John chapter 6 through 15. John 6 through 15. There is a lot of time dedicated just to the uh, John 13 all the way through until the Passion of Christ. Even though it's chapters and chapters of the Bible, we're only dealing with a few hours. A few hours for chapters. God is wanting us to focus, isn't he? God is wanting to say, spend time here in these chapters that are just a few hours before his suffering with his disciples. So let me set this up. So the Last Supper's just happened. Now, remember, the Last Supper was commanded by the Lord. Jesus said, go, I want you to prepare a room. I'm going to have everything set up. They went into Jerusalem, a hostile place. Jesus's ministry has come to a head and it has threatened the religious leaders. It has threatened the Pharisees. It has even threatened Rome. So now they're hostile toward him. The disciples say, are you sure you want to do the Passover in Jerusalem? I've done it every year. And this year I'll be the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's done this every year. So he heads into a hostile Jerusalem. But by the hand of God, nothing is going to happen with Jesus until he gives himself up. No one takes his life. He gave his life away. So the disciples set up the room. Large upper room. On that table, or possibly they ate on the ground, there was, there was something for them to eat on. And on that, as Jewish tradition goes, there is a large golden, it's usually they take and they paint a real, um, uh, grape, a real vine, a grapevine, they paint it gold and they put it as a centerpiece. I'll walk you through that in a little bit uh, as far as where it is in Jewish history. But it was to remind them that they are gods, that he planted them and they exist because of that. That's the picture of the Last Supper. So all that's happened. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He's given them commands. Now let me show you the transition. So from the upper room, this is John 14, 31. It's up here on your screens right here. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. So all of 13 and 14 we've had in the upper room. Now it's possible, as men, you know, after a big meal, you don't just sit at the table. You have to get up and you got to stretch it out, right? Go in the backyard. Any time, Thanksgiving or any big meal or whatever, you'll find a group of guys standing in the backyard or stand talking, right? Stretching it out. They don't want to fall asleep on the couch or something if you're not at your house, like if you're in a party group kind of setting. So it's possible they're in the backyard of this place. He says, all right, it's time to go. So they're going to walk toward the garden of Gethsemane and toward that garden as almost always there's vineyards, not only like commercial vineyards, but people almost always had a garden and in that garden were vineyards. So we have to pick this up in John 15, 1 to understand the picture. Now we're all there. We've gotten up from the Last Supper. We are headed through these gardens, through these houses to the big garden of Gethsemane. And he says, I am the true vine 
and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This is the strongest language Jesus uses so far. He was the shepherd, but a sheep can go a little while without a shepherd, especially if it's in a pen. Even my kids can go a few minutes without daddy on watching them or mom. Now, we never do that. We've never lost a child yesterday at two, yesterday at four, day before at three. I'm just, right? Y'all know, you just, where is that child? I don't know. I left and ran an errand, and Megan's like, you know you left a toddler in the front yard. I was like, babe, the, the eight-year-old was watching her. I mean, come on. He's faster than her. She's not going to get away. This is, I'm more than the shepherd. Even more than the father, you have to be continually connected to me. You cannot be severed at any point. And he's speaking of the continual connectivity that's going to happen in salvation. That's going to happen through the Holy Spirit. That once you're sealed with the Spirit, once you come to Jesus, oh, you're in him and forever. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And this is the last of the great I am's. I am the true vine. Now remember it's evening. So there's not a bunch of light all over the place. You got candles and you got all that, except one place, there's one giant light. And no, it's, it's not um, electricity. There's one place in Jerusalem that has one giant light. And that is the giant candelabras that are lit for the Passover in the temple. Now, they, the, the, they're up on a hill. They have to go down into the valley where the garden is, and then you have to go back up to the temple, right? This is a dry, arid climate. Everything that was gardens, as you know, you put it low by the water, by the streams, right? So they're walking down through these houses, through these vineyards, to the garden, and up on the hill is the very bright temple. And he does that on purpose. Jesus does everything on purpose, and he puts it in the Bible on purpose because he says, young Jewish men, no longer will that be your beacon of spirituality. No longer will that shining temple that I love it, I am the temple, that thing's going to be torn down, and it's the third one that, that has existed. But I am the true vine. No longer will you look to people. No longer will you look to an institution above me. Everything will be about the true vine, and that thing will fade, and I will come in you and you in me. Amen? So that's what he says when I am the true vine. The temple will be subjected to me. All authority, all doctrine, everything is subjected to the person and work of Jesus Christ and his eternal word. There is no institution above Jesus Christ. There is no government above Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rules and reigns and his law is supreme. Amen? 
So we understand he is the true vine. All life flows from him. And all those Jewish men are saying, oh, times, they are changing. Amen. And they had to, they had to understand that. I mean, that's tough. That, that's tough. That's a transition they have to make. But it's a good transition. God has seasons for all of us in our life. Don't fight them. Therefore, you're good. If I would have said, no, I'm not changing that season. I like where I am. It would have halted my growth. It would have stopped the plans and purposes for God in my life. But the disciples didn't do that. All right. So let's, you've got some notes there. Let's look at this. Verse 2. We're in John 15. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The pruning process is not a painless process, is it? You got to prune those trees. You got to prune those hedges. You got to prune them at the right time of year. My grand, uh, my mother-in-law has actually lives in in the in Nevada, a very dry climate, and she's got five apple trees in her backyard. Those things produce apples. You know, it's hard to grow apples down here. We can do citrus all day, but apples not so much. She's got these apple trees. They're really not even that big, but every year, every year, they're like clockwork. She has really learned how to prune those things. When we went to visit uh, last year in the summer, now they they weren't ripe yet, but those apples, the trees were. I mean, they were as high, maybe as high as this ceiling. They weren't big trees like we have, you know, our beautiful live oaks and stuff. They were small. Five of them fit in the backyard, and there's room, room to spare. But these little bitty trees were so heavy and laden with apples that they were hanging down almost to the ground. Apples are so heavy. One branch would have hundreds of pounds of apples on those little bitty trees because she had worked year after year after year after year pruning them. It doesn't have to be big to produce a lot of fruit. It doesn't have to be boisterous personality, overwhelming education. It doesn't have to be any of those things. It just has to be someone that the Lord has worked on and pruned. Now that person the Lord has let. Now they have let the Lord prune and work on them. Number one in your notes. Pain is not always the evidence of wrongdoing. Pain is not always the evidence of wrongdoing. Pruning is a wonderful, difficult thing. Come on, right? On Wednesday, we have marriage class. We're about halfway through. So it's 6.30 to 7.30 every Wednesday for eight weeks. This marriage class has been going great. People have been taking marriage class. So obviously, marriage class, you've got all these parents who have young kids. So we're family church. We love it. It's all good. So all these parents coming in at 6.30, after working all day with young kids. Have you ever seen young kids about 6.30, about an hour before bedtime? That may not be such a Jesus picture. <laughs> I, we don't even bring mine because we would blow up babysitting. It's just too much. They can't handle the numbers. So these parents came in on Wednesday, and it's just been a long week. It's, it's, it's the fifth class, you know, you're of eight. you got kids. You're putting them in class. You're dealing with them. These parents come in with trying to feed their kids after working an eight-hour day, getting up early, doing all this, getting to class because they know they need pruning. They know to make their marriage better, they have to work at it. 
They know that they're going to come in and they're going to grow and they're going to receive. They're going to be encouraged and they're also going to be clipped, right? Now, on this particular Wednesday a few days ago, it was a long day for everyone, even me. It was just a long day. I was trying to focus and think and write questions. And they came in, and one had been dealing with kids all day, and they were trying to close on a house and this and that and all this stuff going on. And they just sat down. We're here. Here we are. We made it. Come on, I'm ready. Everything they could do, it was pain. But I thought, mm-hmm, now there is someone being pruned for the kingdom and glory of God. There is a marriage being pruned and worked on by the great physician that will produce more and more. Come on. Don't think pain and difficulty is evidence of wrongdoing. You lean into that pain. You lean into that difficulty, what you're dealing with, and let the Lord prune you. Amen? This is what he told Isaiah in a very difficult time. In Israel, this is Isaiah 48, 9 and 10. Look at this. For my, na- for my name's sake, I will defer my anger. For my praise, I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. This is a pruning statement. I'm not going to end you. I'm not going to cut it off. That's not the God I am. I'm too faithful. I'm too merciful. I'm going to prune you. And I'm going to withhold all this sin that you've done. Withhold this anger from you. Look at verse 10. Behold, I have refined you. I have purified, refined, or pruning would be a good word you could use there, huh? But not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of what? Affliction. God prunes us in difficult times, right? That we celebrate and we thank God for the victories and we trust God in the pruning because we knowing that it'll produce more. In the furnace of affliction, he told Isaiah, I'm going to prune you. I'll make you the prince of prophets. I'll give you a 50-year ministry is what Isaiah had because he let God refine him in the furnace of affliction. Let's keep looking here. John 15, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So for three years, these men have been connected to the true vine. The true vine they've been connected to. And for three years, the word of God has poured out in perfection in whose ears? Theirs. Usually in all the things Jesus did, either miracles or, or he's teaching or up on the Mount of Olives or, or the, um, when he's in Matthew and he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, who's got the front row seat? The disciples, right? Don't muzzle the ox. The disciples did so much of the work, they're sitting on the front row listening to Jesus. So for three years, this word, this truth has been poured over them and it's been washing them. It's been washing them. It's been washing them. This is also a reference to what just happened to those dirty men's feet just moments earlier. Those dirty men's feet from a long walk to Jerusalem have been washed by the Savior. That's the most humbling thing I can imagine. Remember, Peter at first said, you're not touching me. I'm not worthy. He said, no, no. When I touch you, you'll be clean. Well, wash all of me. No, you don't need, a, you don't need it because whatever I touch makes all of you clean. So he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Number two on your notes. 
Change only happens by the consistent hearing of God's Word. Change only happens by that Word being poured over you, by that Word being spoken to you, by that Word being spoken in your home, with your kids, with your grandkids. You know, I think about this. Jesus spent three years with His disciples. We need to... We need to think of discipleship as long-term. We need to think about the Word as long-term pouring into our lives, into our children's lives. If the perfect Son of God took three years to disciple these men and wash them with the Word, come on, our salvation happens like that, but to change their hearts and minds took time. These men have to lead the church So he washed them, changed them over time, over time. I want to show you how this is said in Ephesians 1.13. It's a beautiful scripture here. In him you also trusted the day of your salvation. The day of your salvation. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So it wasn't just your belief. It was the Spirit of God who said, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And you said, yes, yes, and amen. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my life. And it's that, it's that beautiful exchange where you are His and He is yours. And the Holy Spirit seals you. Verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased promise to the praise of of his glory. Change happens when we wash ourselves in the word. Let's keep looking. So in verse 4, 5, and 7, Jesus is going to say the same thing in three different ways. The same thing in three different ways. He wants him to get it. He's going to say, abide in me and I in you. He who abides in me and I in him, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Do you hear this? He, he says it every possible way you could say it. He says it every possible way over and over and over and over because, number three on your notes, only a mutual relationship is a real relationship. The relationship that he had, they had to the temple may not have been mutual. With God, it could have been. They trusted in Jehovah God, these disciples. But the relationship he had with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, it may not have been mutual. The Pharisees didn't love the disciples. That was the issue. They didn't love God's people. They wanted to control them. They didn't love them. It wasn't mutual. There wasn't an exchange of love, which is what worship is. It is an exchange of love. And he says, everything's changing. This is a mutual relationship. I in you and you in me. As Song of Solomon 3 says, I am my beloved. Excuse me, 6.3. And he is mine. I am my beloved and he is mine. Paul in the book of Romans says 13 times in Christ. 13 times. He says, you're in Christ. Because he wanted the Romans to understand it's totally opposite than the world you're growing up, up in. You're growing up in the Roman Empire, Roman Empire, excuse me, 
where they are in control. It's not a relationship. It's a dictatorship. And that is totally opposite of the way it functions with Christ. You are in him and he's in you. It's a relationship. Only a mutual relationship is a real one. You know, you can always see mutual. You can see it every time. You can see it in a marriage. You can see it in a home. You can see it in a church member. I know if it's mutual or not. I know. Look, you can see it right here, too. Look at these pictures. You know when it's mutual. Oh, it's mutual. How do they always get so many O's? Oh, a a pet, an animal, or a kid? You always, you get it. Here, look at this one. Now, did the kid give that dog the passy, or did the passy, or did the dog take it? That's my question. That's mutual. It's mutual, and sometimes it's just hard. But hey, where they fall, let them lie. <laughs> just let them lie. Huh? It's mutual. You can always tell mutual. Christ loves you. He has a mutual relationship for you. Let's keep looking here. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then it's like, whoa, is this in the Bible? This is, seems too great. This is, whoa. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. If you abide in me, this mutual relationship, and my word abides in you, your prayer life changes. If my words abide in you, every time you pray and the way you talk and think and act is totally different. It changes absolutely. When his words are in you, you pray with such confidence. You pray knowing the will of God. You're praying the word of God. Everything in your, in your life changes. If you struggle, and I've been there many times, if you struggle in prayer, I would highly encourage you, you start reading your word and your prayer life will change. If you struggle in even knowing what to pray, anybody been there before? How do I even pray? Where do you even start with this thing? Put on some worship music, but I'll tell you, I cannot get five minutes. I can get two minutes into prayer before scriptures start coming out of my mouth. You want to change your prayer life. What does it say right here? If my word abide in you, you will ask anything because his words flowing out of you and I'm going to give it to you. Because you're always praying the will of God in your life. I was thinking about this last night. Uh, I don't know if y'all know. Y'all know I cut my own hair, right? Um, I'm bearing my soul up here. Why are y'all laughing at me? I cut my own hair. I have an electric razor for my head. And I have a beard trimmer for my beard. Some of you are still grinning back there and put your hands over your mouth. I see you, Dylan. He's trying to hold it in. I cut my own hair. It's a waste of money to go anywhere else. So last night, I was getting ready to trim my beard and uh, had my little, my little beard trimmer. And the batteries had been in there a while, and I didn't think about it, you know, no big deal. So I turned it on, you know. I was like, I was trimming, but I was like, ah, it's friends and family. I'm going to miss something. This thing's just not quite, but ah, it's good enough. It's good enough. It's good enough. I was like, ah, I got, got through it. I was like, eh, that's not very good. 
Well, let me go get some batteries. Well, it had been so long, you know, you only use it a couple times a week. It's been in there months and months. You forget, you know. So I had these old batteries in. I took them out like this. And I got these new ones here. And I said, well, let me just put them in. They'll help. I don't want to. Remember that noise you just heard a while ago? Listen to this now. You heard that, didn't you? You hear that difference? Uh-huh. I didn't miss any, did I? <laughs> this is what it means to pray the word. You get that word in you, and it starts changing to, whoo. Anybody need a cut? I'm feeling good. I see some shaggy ones back there. Come on up here. Mama, mama will thank me. <laughs> I thought, that's what it's like right there. You get the word in you, and all of a sudden, wham, you'll be able to pray. Confidence, clarity, passion will come into you. Not from you, from the eternal word of God. Not just you're praying, you're praying from heaven. You're praying with the will of God. You're connected to him. Oh, what power it is. Amen? We will lack no good thing. And Jesus is getting ready to say, leave. And he says, disciples, abide in me. And if my word abides in you, you will ask anything of the Father and he will give it. Amen? Amen. Come on. We're going to do it. Number four. Did I say it already? Number four. His word is the key to a greater prayer life. His word is the key to a greater prayer life. Just think of Pastor Stephen cutting his beautiful hair. Y'all got to stop laughing at that. (laughs) One more. One more here. I'm leaving, Jesus says. But, oh, I'm not leaving. In fact, I'm saying the promise of the Holy Spirit who will be with you forever, abide in you, abide with you. He will bring you peace. He will remind you of all things that I have spoken. Verse 8. And by all these things, he brings it kind of to a a head here. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. I'm not cutting you out. I'm pruning. That's the pain. I'm not cutting you out. I'm pruning. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So you will be my disciples. I began to look at this in the Bible, and I realized you can never find disciple disconnected from a lifelong statement. Disciples always have this, um, always have this attitude, this air. They always have this, uh, the pre-qualification is this is life-term. This is long-term. Discipleship cannot function apart from lifetime. It's the only way it works. Discipleship. Fruit, pruning, all of that only functions in a lifetime setting. That's the way it is in Jesus' mind, in the disciples' mind. That's the way it was with all the early Christians. And I want you to think about yourself and ourselves like that. We're disciples. It's not a short term, a midterm. This This is why we have to think like that. I only have one Savior, one life, one thing, And I am fully his, and he's fully mine, and this is for life. Let me me tell you, I have the same voices in my head that come and say, 
Oh, you can just quit. Just check out. When I went part-time into ministry, 10 years, I was in my 30s. Lord, I, that little voice, you can just be done. No one, it won't be a big deal. You live in another state. Oh, your job went to part-time. It won't matter. Just quit now. It won't make a difference. You can just serve the Lord and do something else. I don't know how to affect your family, whatever. I heard it. I heard it over and over, week after week, month after month, month after month, month after month for seven months. But I heard another voice. It was the voice of the Holy Spirit who said, Stephen, I told you what to do at 18. Now this is for life. I told you what to do when you were 18. Now don't you disobey. And I needed the fear of the Lord and I needed godly counsel and I needed men who say you could do it. You step up like the disciples and say, that's it. This is life. You remove every other thought out of your mind. You remove it. You cast it out and you take it under captivity. Well, I'll leave the local church. No one will care. I can you know, leave this person, this marriage, this, 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 that. That is the work of the enemy trying to pull you out of the vine. But he won't because the Holy Spirit will say, no, no. You know where I called you. You're mine and I'm yours. And don't let any voice of this world ever try to pull you away. You are a disciple, life for life, long term. Number five on your notes. Discipleship is only possible in a lifelong view. Discipleship is only possible in a lifelong view. Let's stand up. Stretch it out. At the end of Paul's life, he served the Lord many years. At the end of his life, he's in the lower prison in Rome. He's writing his last letter probably hours before um, he's going to die to Timothy. And it's not to Timothy. It's to the church. It's to you. And in 2 Timothy 4, he writes this, 4-7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Discipleship long-term. Discipleship long-term. Verse 8. Next verse. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Well, good, Paul. I mean, you're Paul. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to serve the Lord and get kids to sleep through the night and do what God's called me to do. I'm just trying to get through the day and try to get up on this bad back and get through and do this. Oh, no, keep reading. Keep reading in your life. It'll change you. And not to me only, but also to A-L-L. That's you. That's me. To all who have loved his appearing. 
to all who come to a local church and say, Jesus is my Savior, I'm going to worship Him. To all who say, honey, I know we didn't do have prayer this, pray this week very well, but let's pray together. To all who get up and say, Lord, I'm going to open my word first, not my phone. I love you and I love your appearing. To all who love His appearing. Amen. That's you. Find yourself in the word. That's me. To all. Now let's just spend a few minutes with Jesus. He's the true vine. Whatever you're dealing with, you can imagine the disciples' mental and emotional state at this time. And God, Jesus spoke peace to them. So many things are going to change, he was saying, but all you have to do is abide in me. And hold on to my word. Abide in me and keep my word in you. Rome will change. The Pharisees will change. The temple will change. Up and down, this and that. They'll like you. They'll hate you. This and that. All I want you to do is abide in me and have my word in you. And everything will be okay. Everything else I'll take care of. Can we do that today? Can we do that today? Let's worship him just for a minute as we close. Come on, let's worship him. Praise the one who just tell him that he's the true vine, the only vine. That everything in life is secondary to him. His authority is the, your greatest authority. His word you cling to. Well, tell him that. Tell him the difficulty you're leaning into. The difficulty you're ha- you'll be fine with because you're, he's pruning you. Come on, talk to him now. Talk to him. Tell him you're abiding in him. That you're not leaving him in any way, shape, or form. And he has a promise for you. He's sealed with the Holy Spirit. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Lord, I thank you. Even today, your word is washing over us like it did over the disciples. Wash over us. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Change the way we talk. Change the way we think. Change the way we spend our time and our resources, Lord. Let your word wash over any area that is unclean. Any area that someone's struggling with. Lord, I thank you that your word is washing over homes. Washing over marriages. Washing over minds. Washing over decisions for the future. Your word is washing over everyone in this room. And bringing freedom. And bringing cleanliness, Lord. Let's just come to Him as we end. Let's just lift our hands as we surrender to Him. Lord, we do the exact same thing the disciples did. We're going to abide in You and Your Word in us. We thank You, Lord, that You are ours and we are Yours. Before we leave today, 
you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, we're going to repeat a version of like the sinner's prayer. We're going to repeat a disciple's prayer. It's more than a sinner's prayer. It's a lifelong discipleship prayer. And we're going to repeat it all together as we end our service. And if you're here, say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him, but I want to know him. And I'm tired of being a sinner and I'm tired of living my own life. You repeat this prayer. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart on the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says you will be saved. Now all his disciples are going to repeat it as we do in some form or fashion every day. Let's all repeat it together. Say, Lord Jesus, you are mine and I am yours. Through faith in you, through faith in the cross, through faith in your work, the shed blood of Jesus. I proclaim you as Lord. I proclaim you as Savior over my life, that you're the Savior of our home. Thank you. I am your disciple, lifelong disciple, and eternally I will be with you. In Jesus' name. And all the disciples said, Amen and amen. Give him praise and glory in his house. Give him praise. All right, all right. Come on, disciples. I like that name. I like that name. All right, guys. It is our, fa- our friends and family day. So just so you know, the buildings will be open for restrooms and things like that. Um, the kids stuff. So when you go and get your kids, zero to four is allowed in the little bounce house. The big one, it's just going to be a gladiator event, apparently, with the older kids. Food is out there. We will all go out there and pray together and then just hang out and have a good time. All right, God bless you.